this should not be a partisan issue. Even if you happen to agree with him on policy matters, the precedent of the president picking and choosing what laws to follow is a dangerous precedent. And, you know, to be honest, I think a lot of folks in the media have given him a pass on this. There's going to come another president, a Republican president, and if you have this power for the president to say, I don't agree with this tax law, this environmental law, this labor law, so I'm just going to change it, yeah. that threatens the, the liberty of every American. It ought to concern all of us, Republicans, Democrats, independents, or libertarians. That much power in the president's dangerous. Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. That was Ted Cruz on an interview with Jake Tapper on January 28th, 2014, after one of the State of the Union addresses by President Obama. Robert Robb isn't here today on the podcast, but uh, I do have a collection of, of clips that, that I put together from, from podcasts from the last three years, uh, almost three years this, this podcast has been running. And there's been several times on on podcast we've discussed the role of the Congress and the deterioration of the separation of powers. So I want to use uh, today's podcast just to just to go back and to take clips from previous podcast episodes uh, on the same theme. And in between the clips, I will explain uh, what episode it's from and. Uh, the context in which uh, the the clip of the of the conversation uh, comes from. Starting out, first of all, with uh, laying out the problem. Uh, this is a, a clip from uh, a previously recorded and actually never uh, never released conversation about um, the separation of of powers. And I, my, the question that I asked him was whether the the current uh, dysfunction in, in, in the separation of powers poses. Uh, a threat to democracy. I, I don't know that we're in a crisis of democracy, uh, but certainly the separation of powers, um, a principle that underlies our system of government, uh, is in uh, dire jeopardy. Um, uh, we have a uh, Congress which is dysfunctional. It cannot get its job done of legislating on behalf of the American people. Uh, we have a judiciary um, which is stepping into that breach uh, and making itself a political branch of government, uh, which it is not supposed to be. Um, the distinction that you drew uh, between a legal opinion and what one believes is the best policy outcome uh, is vital to the way our system of government is intended to operate. It is not a distinction that is accepted or even recognized by most people today. People react to Supreme Court justice, uh, Supreme Court decisions based exclusively almost uh, not on what they think of the legal reasoning but whether they like the policy outcome. And rather than resist that, uh, the Supreme Court is playing to it. It is making itself a political um, branch of government. Uh, and I, I do think that 
um, the separation of powers. I mean, in, in, in addition to Congress not doing its job, the Supreme Court stepping in and doing its job, you've got the executive branch doing Congress's job. Uh, and um, if we are to recover any sense of the separation of powers, Congress needs to regain its authority and it needs to become a functional branch of government. Um, it is congressional dysfunction that I think has invited uh, the uh, filling the vacuum uh, by both the executive and the judicial branches. So if the Congress is dysfunctional right now, when did that happen? Why, why did that happen? Where did it, where did this dysfunction start? That's the next segment that I'm going to have. This is from a, a conversation a couple of years ago from a podcast about the presidency, actually. It was titled, What Makes an Effective President? But somewhere along the lines, I think it was, it was uh, in, in a section about expanded powers of, of the presidency. We talked about uh, what happened and, and, and why the president now takes on a lot of the roles that, that used to be done by Congress. Yeah, since the 1970s. That's, that's when the practice of coming up with vague laws um, that have to be filled in by um, governmental agencies uh, began. And, and it started with the Environmental Protection Agency, um, where Congress basically said, we want clean air, we want clean water, go ye federal bureaucrats and make it happen and and fleshing that out being specific about what regulatory approach was going to be taken and what was going to be required of businesses uh, was deferred to the uh, bureaucracy um, and that's accelerated ever since uh, the unilateral power uh, that has been vested in the president to engage in the kind of trade wars that Trump is threatening uh, is a complete revocation of authority, yeah. relinquishment of authority by, by Congress. Yeah, those, we, those, I mean, treaties are supposed to be approved yeah. by Congress, which means that they, if they are to be amended, they should have to go to Congress. Instead, in, in trade, we've passed these vague laws that says – if the president decides that it's good for the country, um, then he can impose uh, tariffs. One controversial element of the Congress and congressional dysfunction is the filibuster rule. And there's a lot of fear right now amongst Republicans that Democrats might take over control of the Senate, blow up the filibuster rule, and be able to enact all these radical policies. But that is may be counterintuitive to the actual effect of, of getting rid of the filibuster. And uh, this is what we discuss in this next section of uh, what is the actual effect of having a 60-vote requirement in the Senate. And this clip comes from uh, a podcast called Has the U.S. Senate Become Irrelevant?, and this one was posted about a year ago. There is a movement in Congress to constrict the president's ability to impose tariffs um, uh, for national security concerns, to require that to be submitted to Congress for approval. If we didn't have the filibuster rule, I think that we could see a resurgence yeah, let's, of, we, we, of 
Congress functioning in passing legislation. I think we would have immigration reform. Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit, because we've talked about it before on this podcast, but it's worth uh, bringing up again today that um, the filibuster rule, which is not really a rule in the Constitution, but it essentially makes it so that you have to get 60 votes instead of just a simple majority to pass anything in the Senate. And most uh, most people would argue that the 60-vote requirement causes you to have to be more bipartisan because you need more votes altogether. And even with the with a strong majority like the Republicans have now, you still would need five or six Democrat votes to, to get something done. So even, you know, even, con, you know, constitutional libertarians like Jeff Flake argued in his book that, you know, that's that's one thing that's there. McCain uh, arguing uh, one of his um last impassioned speeches about getting back to the old order, but he still uh, supported the, the filibuster but because they think that it, 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 it forced you to be more bipartisan. But you think that it does the opposite effect. Well, I would ask the question, what are the examples of bipartisan legislation that is passed because of the filibuster rule? Um, instead, what it does is to give an incentive to the minority uh, to stay together and not have any Democratic votes flake off uh, if the Republicans are in charge or Republican votes vice versa because it gives the minority party an effective veto over any action. Uh, If something was likely to pass anyway, uh, then you would see Democrats scrambling uh, to get things in bills that are important to them, and it would allow the majority leader to negotiate with a few Democrats rather than have to negotiate with all the Democrats who are under extreme pressure to hang together in order to effectuate their effective um, veto power. But why, uh, given the fact that even if you have 52 Republicans, um, you could just do anything without any Democrat input. Why? Why? Well, now that's that you assuming get- you can get at least fifty Republicans to agree, and there is a diversity of opinion uh, within the uh, Republican caucus, and and there's been quite a few things um, where they haven't been able to muster that. So you think something like I think. I can't remember what context, maybe it was immigration reform that we talked about it before, where they're having trouble coming to an agreement. I don't think there's any question that if the filibuster rule didn't exist, we would have seen immigration reform in this country um, a while back. This next clip comes from one of our early podcast episodes titled, Where Are Our Washingtons, Jeffersons, and Adamses? The podcast is just brainstorming reasons why we don't have the same caliber of government officials and leaders that are that are guiding us and making our policies today. Contrast to the founding era when there were so many brilliant minds that were at work uh, shaping our government, creating it, and participating in it. Uh, one of the drastic differences today is that we have... Uh, not not as brilliant and uh, competent 
people that are making our laws and running for office, and they seem to be consumed with politics and consumed with the only thing that matters to them, which is getting getting reelected and, and not really leading. So in this in this next uh, segment, um, we talk about uh, one reason why that might be happening, uh, and uh, maybe the need for term limits and other barriers uh, of, of entry, uh, like the overwhelming negativity and ugliness in how politics uh, is practiced and how constant it is in comparison to, to different time periods. And, and even if you don't have skeletons, the other side will <laughs> invent them and, and create them. And in fact, I've sometimes said that the only reason that I can possibly think to run for office was to find out how, from a different perspective, um, my life could look uh, far more uh, colorful and um, disgraceful <laughs> than I perceived it as I was living it. <laughs> and it's almost like you got to battle that. So I don't know if you're if you're like uh, I don't know Elon Musk or something. Like why would you? Why would you go into the political arena just to get well? But but again, again, pit? it's not new. I mean, scan- right. scandalous um, accusations uh, are have been par for the course in American politics from the beginning. But again, the difference is the ubiquitous um, nature of them these days, uh, and so maybe. Maybe it was one thing to live with um, reading a unfair, scandalous accusation against yourself in some pamphlet and turning on the TV and seeing it uh, a dozen times a day. I mean, maybe that's that's different. But but the best explanation I of of the ones that we've sort of tried on to see how they fit. Um, to me is the fact that people like that probably would lose uh, to professional politicians. We've turned politics from a calling into a profession. Is there any corrective nature to that? I mean, and I was every time all these rules I'm thinking out, Trump kind of threw, threw those out a little bit. He didn't campaign like a conventional uh, politician. He kind of just... I think in a negative way, but sold sold something different. Came as an outsider. What could happen to bring more brilliant people in there? Do you think? And uh, will Trump's um, success at nabbing that top spot cause more people to get politically inclined? Do you think? Well, I don't think so because he's he has added to the ugliness of politics, which I think for most people is a is a turnoff. Um. I'm a big believer in term limits. Uh, I would like to see us go to a single six-year term for president. Uh, I would like to see us uh, have term limits for the U.S. Senate and and Congress. I would love to see that. So that that the ability to make it a career uh, would be far more difficult. We have term limits here in Arizona, and um, some people... Once their term is, expires in the House, they'll run for the Senate. Once their term expires in the Senate, they'll run for the House. So it hasn't completely eliminated careerism. Um, 
but I, I, I think, I mean, you look at how liberated uh, people in, in Congress are once they decide they're not going to run for yeah. re-election. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if, if you had people for whom the worst thing in their life would not be losing an election. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I think term limits would help create that greater willingness to take it on and increase the chances of non-professional politicians to have a shot. Another reform that might help um, would be to eliminate the formal legal role of political parties in our selection of our um, elected officials. The founders crafted a government that was intended to discourage parties and um, until we formed parties very quickly with the Jefferson Adams uh, presidential contest, um, the intent was not to have parties. And uh, certainly I think uh, you it's natural for people who agree on certain political objectives to organize together to maximize their clout. So I think parties are inevitable. Uh, but you could eliminate their official legal role so that they would be voluntary advocacy groups um, rather than the way that you get on the ballot uh, to get elected. And finally here... Maybe all these reforms aren't going to happen right away, and they and they probably won't. Um, filibuster is a structural reform. Political parties, uh, term limits, these are all structural reforms. We'll finish with this here, which is what can be done right away? What can we do right now? Rather, what could our congressional representatives do right now to start to take back their proper authority in the constitutional system. Both parties are unwilling to assert congressional authority when their own guy is in office. And you really need a bipartisan effort by Congress to say, we're going to regain our, our role. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, uh, Congress is united in that we're going to do our job and we're not going to delegate all this authority to yeah. presidents and defer and protect the guy if he's our guy, if he's overstepping what ought to be the limits that the Constitution imposes on the power of the presidency. That will do it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. I appreciate all of our listeners, apologies for skipping a week last week. We have been recording episodes regularly on, on Thursdays. I'm not going to be able to guarantee a regular podcast schedule, uh, but we will uh, do the best we can to um, get some relevant and uh, hopefully interesting episodes out, uh, continuing to cover election 2020. There's a couple of uh, important ballot initiatives that are going to be uh, up for Arizona voters, a, a lot of uh, important races and uh, policy discussions and, uh, and political dynamics uh, to talk about. 
So uh, thanks for listening. Again, you can subscribe to The Political Notebook and listen on uh, any podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks.